<clears throat> Thank you for those who have taken the time to pray. How many of you know that when we when we don't inquire of the Lord, when we don't seek His presence, when we don't pray, you can be assured that we are going to be left to ourselves. And although we are online, one thing is for certain is here's here's the thing is God's presence is tangible and God's presence isn't confined to our location and so whether in person or or online it doesn't matter the presence of God is the thing that I'm looking for you're not going to be changed by mere information you're not going to be changed by um even biblical information, if the presence and the power of God is unaccompanied by this biblical information, it will profit us nothing. You know, Jesus tells Peter, he says, uh, Blessed are you, Simon, he says, for uh, son of Barjona, for uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. He has done the revealing. You know, as uh, as I've heard it often said, and I believe it with all my heart, that information without revelation leads to stagnation. And what we need is uh, the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened by, by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. Right? So, but that's what we're doing. This is what Paul prays in Ephesians 1. He says, I, I pray for the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that your understanding would be opened. Okay, so, um, but with that said, I want us to corporately join in prayer at this moment, and if you can, avail yourself of the opportunity to eliminate all distractions as possible. understand we're in different places, different times. Some of us have kids, some of us have things that we're doing. Um, That's understandable. However, um, as it depends upon you, as much as it depends upon you, let us remove distractions because I believe that tonight or today, rather, or depending on where you're, wherever you're at, tonight for you, today for myself, um, is a critical word. Okay, so last night as I was praying, um, I, this, was un- this message is actually a very simple message, very basic message. Uh, This message defines you as a Christian. Whether or not you believe this message defines you as a Christian or not. Okay, so, but uh, it it was, it's foreign to me because I I, I typically don't like going to these very, very basic things. Um, Even as as central as the gospel is, and that's exactly what I'm going to be preaching on today. So that's how I know that the Lord wanted me to speak on this. And I believe... um, this will really, um, that the Lord wants to use this to encourage you in in the essential truth of, of God's message to humanity, and it's the salvation message. A very simple message that we should all believe. I trust that everyone in this meeting believes this, um, but... We need to be reassured of the essential truths. <clears throat> so let us let us come to 
The Lord, at this moment, let us begin to pray. Father, we, um, we come before you, Lord. We come to you, Lord, humbly. We come to the throne of grace boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord God, I ask in this moment that your Holy Spirit would accompany the message, that your Holy Spirit would accompany me, O Lord. Father, I pray, God, that you would um, you would uh, disrupt all that wants to disrupt you, Lord. God, that you would attack all that comes against your word, O Lord. Father, I pray that every uh, demon would be bound. I pray that the devil would not have his way. I pray, God, that you would have your way today, Lord. Encourage your people, inspire your people, enliven your people, revive your people. Lord, revitalize your people, God. I pray that you would contradict and refute the lies of the devil. Lord, I pray that you would give me unction. You would give me power. Lord, I pray that it would well be understood today, Lord, that after the message is proclaimed, that is not uh, a message from man. It is not done nor sustained in man's power, but it is by your spirit. It's by your word. And it's from a power. It's, a, it's uh, uh, done by a power not of this world, Lord. So, God, I pray that, uh, Lord, that we would see you move mightily. Lord, that you, Lord God, would speak mightily, God. I pray that you would uh, thwart the plans of the devil. You would ruin the plans of the devil, Lord. I pray that everything that he wanted to bring into our lives would be aborted. Everything that he wanted to terminate. Everything that he wanted to destroy. Everything that he wanted to disrupt. God, I pray, would be broken. Lord, I pray every stronghold would be broken, Lord. I pray, Lord, for the enlightenment of truth, Lord. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, energize us, Lord. Empower us, God. Encourage us, God. For those, Lord, that are on the brink of discouragement or dismay or despair, God, I pray that you would impart hope, that you would impart life, that you would impart your anointing, God. And that from this day forward, we would be a changed breed of people, God. I pray, Lord, that you would help me, Lord. That you would give me the exact words to proclaim, Lord. That you would move me aside, Lord. I need your help, Father. I need your help, Lord. I can't, as simple as speaking is, I can't do it without you. Oh God, as simple as speaking is, Lord, I cannot raise dead people. And I cannot impart life. So Father, would you accomplish that today, Lord? And God, I pray, Lord, that if there be any people in this meeting that don't know you, Lord, they may be in that pre-conversion state, Lord, where they're not entirely crossed over, I pray that they would taste life, Lord. And I believe I believe that uh, you have a message for just that one, Lord. <clears throat> God, I pray... That while they're in the valley of decision, Lord, that they would choose life. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, help me. Help me, O oh Lord, help your servant. In the mighty name of Jesus, I also pray, Lord, that you would speak in a prophetic way, Lord. <clears throat> 
Grace me, Lord. Grace me according to the need that is present today. Oh, hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. I hope you all can hear me well. Um, I want us to turn really quickly to Job chapter 9 verse 1. Job chapter 9 verse 1. For those of you that like this sort of information, it is said that Job is, uh, it's speculated that Job is the first book ever written, even before Genesis. Even though the, the Genesis means beginning, and it is an account of the beginning of humanity and the beginning of the creation of the world. But it is said nonetheless that Job, the book itself, actually predates Genesis. But that's neither here nor there. Um, What I hope to be speaking to you guys about today is the gospel. Now, one of the things is that we as believers, we never graduate from needing to hear the gospel message it's the bedrock it's the bedrock of our faith it is our heart's nourishment if we find an obsession or a love for more than uh, a, a, an obsession greater than this reality then i would venture to say that's idolatry that is to say that you're placing something in the place uh, that, that ought not belong there. Okay, because the only reason why we can have any joy in our hearts isn't because of the amount of money we have in our bank account. It's not because of our looks. It's not because life has been well to us. It's not for any of those reasons. It's pri- precisely and simply because of the grace of God. But this is, this is what Job says in Job chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? Or as some translations uh, say, How can man be just before God? In other words, to paraphrase, he's asking the question, Because he's conscious, he's aware of his own sinfulness. He is aware of God's standard. He's aware of God's law. He, even though this is before Moses, there's still a law written on their hearts. All of humanity has this law written on their conscience and their hearts, so that men are without excuse. Man cannot say, "I've never heard the gospel preached." Man cannot say that, uh, that I don't know what God requires of me. God has written His law on all of the hearts of humanity. Okay, so they are without excuse. So he's asking this question. I, I'm aware of my sin. I'm aware that I am a sinner. I am aware that I am unjust. Even though the Bible says he was a man that feared God and eschewed evil, 
there is still this reality of imperfection that resides with even within even those who are saintly, even those who go to church, even those who are Christians, even those who profess the name of Christ. There are still uh, a, a residual reality. There are still these impulses, the sin. There, there, there are uh, still imperfections or dross in the gold, if you will. There, there's still uncleanliness that God has to clean us up. But we're speaking primarily not to the Christian. But this ought to be the question for every man, but especially so for those who are not Christians. Because whether or not they go to hell or heaven depends on the answer to that question and what you see as a man is in a quest for is try to solve this problem what do they do they they have all the pillars of islam they uh you know they'll walk many miles or crawl on their knees they will do many things just to earn god's favor or so they think there's the buddhists the the hindus the the muslims and they all are attempting to work themselves to a, a status before God that is satisfactory to Him. Whatever false concept they have of God, which they're not serving God, they're serving demons. How many of you know that? They're, they're serving demons. They're not serving the true and living God. It's idolatry. You know, there are, uh, you know... Uh, well, what do they say? You know, the path to hell is paved by many good intentions. You know, as Ravenhill once said, he says, "There's a million. He says, "There's a one way to heaven and a million ways to hell." It's kind of like Rome. All roads lead to hell except Jesus. Amen. And so he's asking the question: How can we be just before God? Well, what is the answer? The, the Catholics have an answer to that. It's, it's works-based. You know, a lot of legalistic Christians have an answer to that. Um, Hindus have an answer to that. Karma, your you know, good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And maybe you, if you do good enough, you'll be a, a stinking cockroach in the life to come. Maybe you'll be a dog, or maybe, uh, who knows. But this, all of those answers are false. That's not what the Word of God says. And I can say with complete authority that that is not the message of the King. That is not the message of the living Christ. That is not the message of God Almighty. Those are all false messages that the devil is using to use his little minions to propagate this world with false gospels, with false lies, with false hopes, with delusions, to blind the minds of the people, to alleviate their conscience, to make them feel better as if they're doing something good to society, but it's abomination before God. It's an abomination. You don't know why God hates it so much? Because it damns humanity to hell. It damns them all and He cares about them. 
The devil doesn't care whether or not you go to hell. He doesn't. But let me tell you this, Jesus cares. God cares. God cares. He wills for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That means all. You know, these sloppy Calvinists, they all, you know, I, I love reform camps and all this, but they want to keep making excuses for like, you know, God just played, you know, duck, duck, goose and stuff. You know, I picked you, but the hell with you. I don't believe that. I believe there's something in the heart of God that wants all men to be saved. And I'm not going to play verbal gymnastics with the scriptures to try to justify why people want to go, why God wants people to go to hell. There's love within the heart of God. If you've if you spent any time with the living Christ and you've sensed the reality of His love and His mercy and His grace and His peace, this is what He wants for all men. All mankind. And we ought to want it too. We ought to want it too. Jesus wept. A profound verse in the Bible. But how many of us mimic our master in that regard? How many of us can look over Jerusalem? How many of us can look over Europe? How many of us can look over Asia? How many can look over America and say, I weep. I weep. Oh, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. You're not willing. <clears throat> but it says, how can man be just with God? If you want, if you can, turn to Romans chapter 3. Some of you Bible nerds are probably already well familiar with this passage here. Uh, Romans chapter 3. And Paul gives a description of man's condition man's man's condition man's a description of humanity apart from Jesus Romans chapter 3 verse 9 what then are we Jews any better off no not at all for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all are under sin you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I remember when I was in school, like, I was I was horrible at, at school, and, like, I really hated those days where even, like, my troublemaking friends did better than me the day, like, they actually got, got around to doing the work, and I ended up being the only person that ended up, like, getting an F, and I felt like I had no company, and it sucked. But you know what? When it comes to sin, we're all in the same company. All who are apart from Jesus, whether Jew or Greek, black, white, Hispanic, it don't matter. They're all under sin. Right? You all get an F if you're not in Christ. And 
I don't know if you guys use that grading system where you guys are from, but F is the lowest grade possible, right? He says, no, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or, or vipers is under their lips. Their, mouths are, uh, is, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know, in my experience of evangelism, I would say 9 out of 10 people think they're good people. <clears throat> 9 out of 10 people think they're good people, and I ask them often. Do you know that there was a study conducted, I don't know what the study was, what year, or who did it, but I remember hearing in passing that there was a man that had interviewed some of the most cold-blooded murderers in the prisons. And you know what they all said of themselves? They proclaimed their own goodness and said that they were good people, all except for one. That is the biggest lie that the devil has fed humanity, is that you're good. No, we're not. We are not. What is Jesus? But you know, some will justify themselves. Well, I work for my children. You know, I work for my family. I, 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 uh, I, I attend business. I, um, you know, I take care of my responsibilities. I'm a good citizen. How dare you insult me and say that I'm evil? Well, Jesus says this: If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. So that means evil people can do good things. And you know what that also says? Holy people can do bad things. It, what matters is whether or not, you know, as uh, you know, I, I read today in the chat, whether you're dead in sin or dead to sin. That, that's the determining factor. Who do you belong to? That defines you as good or uh, defines you as evil. And we know that we can only be good if we're in Christ, if we're clothed with His precious blood. But um, evil people can do good things. But that's the biggest lie that the devil has fed humanity. See, it's not that we've just made mistakes. It's that we've done the most uh, uh, abominable thing. We've done the most rebellious thing before the most holy God. We haven't just made slip-ups. We haven't just had a bad day. We're desperately in trouble. Do you understand that? Apart from Christ, we're desperately in trouble. And God's, God's acts of judgment is hanging over our heads. That's, that's, not, that's not me. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. It's death. Right? I remember before I got saved... I remember I had a dream that I had gone to hell. 
and all my life I thought I was I was good even though my life was um, gro- grossly immoral but I remember waking up from that dream and I I somet- I love my testimony because I love the fact that God bypassed lazy Christians and he got a message to me independent of of human of human messengers I woke up one day and I knew I was going to hell. I knew the sentence of death was on me. I didn't I didn't know I didn't read the Bible. I didn't know where that was at if it was to be found in the Bible. But I knew that I knew that I was on God's executioner's seat. I knew that I was on God's death row. I went from one night to the next and I knew I need Jesus Christ as my savior. I just knew it. And and the 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 feelings. See, I don't I don't know if you guys have ever appeared before a judge before to be tried and and sentenced, um, and it's not a it's not a good feeling. Um, when your your life is examined before a judge. Um, when I was tried for my number of felonies. Before a judge, it was, um, it's, let's just say you're not comfortable, to say the least. But here's the thing, those who are outside of Christ, they will stand before the judge of the ages. And they must give an account for everything that has been done in the body, whether good or whether evil. And there is no escaping there is no running and there's no hiding every man and every woman must appear at that appointment it is a solemn reality it is heavy even as i'm speaking i i want to shatter under the weight of this truth even as a Christian knowing that I'm on my way to heaven it is still a shattering thought and we ought to sober our minds and our hearts in relation to this truth and and you guys know I don't I don't talk about you know, in my earlier days, I used to talk about it all the time, but I've learned a lot more. I don't talk about hell as nearly as often as I do. So I'm not trying to be a fear mongerer. I'm not trying to, you know, ruin your day. I'm not trying to quench anybody's desire to be encouraged. I believe encouragement. I believe in all of that stuff, but I believe also in being faithful to the text. And this is the message of all messages is that today as we speak there are billions of people that are under the wrath of Almighty God and they have not one who have proclaimed to them the message that they can be saved from their sins and they can obtain everlasting life. And they are blind and delusioned by the devil. They're delusioned by the enemy. 
delusioned. <clears throat> I want us to quickly turn to Isaiah chapter 63. Now, this isn't intended to... I, I, I don't intend for this to remain a heavy message. Obviously, the gospel is good news by definition. And if this is all we're left with, then I, I would just share Paul's uh, statement in 1 Corinthians. Says, Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. We're all going to hell anyways. Might as well fill up pleasures in this life. What, what If there's no good hope, there's no good news, might as well make the best news of that, that we can here in this life. And, you know... Drown out this 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 horrible reality by alcohol or drugs, or maybe try to preserve your life as long as possible so you don't have to go to hell or earlier, right? But this is what the Bible says to those that have not been saved. When I say have not been saved, they have not made the conscious decision to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ to say, you know what, everything. I give to you. I, I I need your forgiveness. This is what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger, and I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and wrath, up, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. That's heavy. Now notice, I, I didn't quote, you know... I don't even know the books in the Quran. First Jihad, I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I'm not quoting that. I'm quoting the text. I'm quoting Isaiah. Now obviously if it's just left there, it's imbalanced. This is all in light of the reality that God discloses His nature and His attributes and who he is to God to his people and it says merciful and gracious abounding in love right that's who God declares himself to be so this is not a verse that stands alone as as if it characterizes God as someone who's just out to kill everybody and and throw down uh, lightning bolts just to make uh, everyone's lives hell But remember, these are people who have sacrificed their children to Molech, placed their children through the fire, who have no fear of God, who are uh, 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 definitionally rebellious, and who by prophet after prophet have come to them and proclaimed repentance. They have denied, they have rejected, and even killed the prophets. Right? But this, this is 
grief and, and there is sorrow <clears throat> in the heart of God today. There is grief and there is sorrow in the heart of God today. Do you know that? There's sorrow because there are many image bearers of God that are oppressing other image bearers of God. That are breaking breaking God's law. See, here's the thing. Why do laws matter to God? Because people matter to God. People matter to the Lord. So, Job asks that question. He says, how can man be just with God? How, how, how can man be right before his maker? And Paul gives us that answer. He says, we can't. We cannot by what we do. There is nothing that you and I can do that would earn God's uh, 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 satisfaction, that would satisfy God, that would uh, um, make us right before God. He says, there's no one that understands. They have all together become worthless. You see them you see you know you know John Calvin said this he says man's heart is an idol factory and you see the result of that you see the result of man's heart that manufactures that creates idols and beliefs and false doctrines without the enlightening power of the holy spirit you see you know thousands you know over 2000 years ago in athens with these these mythological figures of zeus and and this and then you know th- you know the three-headed you know beasts and people worship the, their own imaginations Right? This is what man does by default. This is what they do because they are darkened. Their, their minds are darkened. Their understanding are darkened. And the result of this isn't just a temp. It's not, it's not the, it's, how can I say this? The worst thing that, that can happen to man is that God's wrath would abide on him. That is the worst thing. It's not that we would suffer for the gospel. It's not that we would be persecuted. It's not that we would live impoverished lives. It's not that I would be rejected or an outcast of of the church or an outcast to society. It's not that I wouldn't get the job of my dreams. The, The most terrible report is that at the end of our lives, we would come to find out as lost men and lost women that we don't know the living God. And his wrath abides on us. But here is where that's not the end of the story. No, I love that song. There's room at the cross for you. It says, though there are millions, millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room. At the cross for you. What does the Bible say in John 3.16? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him, they would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. And so the the impossibility of man making himself right with God, God then looks upon that situation and he finds an occasion for him to provide the answer, to provide the cure, to provide the remedy, to provide the solution to man's biggest problem. And it was this, that God became a man and he died and he suffered for the sins that men deserve to pay, that men deserve to die for. God looked upon this corrupt world. It wasn't a beautiful world. It wasn't dazzling with romance and, and beauty and wonder and glory. It was destitute of glory. It was uh, uh, ransacked with sin. And yet, despite all its corruption, God in His love, God in His mercy, God in His grace becomes a man and, and born in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, was born in a manger, wrapped himself in flesh to live the life that we ought to live and die. That, that, that sin that we're talking about in Isaiah 63 where it says that he would trod the people in his anger. Jesus took that blow. Jesus had endured that anger. He became the grapes that the foot of the Father crushed. Do you see that? There's a song that says they stretched him wide. They, he hung their dead. For me he died, that's love. He, they stretched him wide. He hung their dead. For me he died, that's love. Paul says this, he says, The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave his life for me. It wasn't just that he gave my service. It, it wasn't just that he gave his service. It wasn't just that he gave money. It wasn't that he just gave his compassion, but didn't solve our problem. He gave us his compassion. He gave us his life's blood. And it was that life's blood that it was the only answer to humanity that can reconcile us back to the very God who was angry with us in the first place. That is the message that humanity needs to desperately hear. That is the message that we need to believe. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 10, it says, uh, we're actually beginning at verse 6, it says... Uh, very rarely would a good man die for a righteous person, though even th even though a good man might possibly dare to die for a righteous person. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more through his life shall we be saved from the wrath of God? Right? Your mother, your father might give their lives for you. Their own flesh and blood. But while you and I were still enemies 
of God enemies. Jesus died. Jesus died while you were still his enemy. While I was still an enemy of God through wicked works. While I shunned the Savior and chose my path and my sin and my degradation and my corruption, my filth, <clears throat> all that brought damnation and curse and, and bitterness and envy and misery and despair, while I wanted nothing to do with the light and God and I shunned out all the voices of authority in my life, the, those who spoke what was right, and yet, the Savior still died in my place. Amen, somebody. Amen. Jesus stopped the acts of judgment from falling on our necks. On mine. And yours. He stopped it. That is why we can sing with joy today. That is why we have peace within our souls. Even though everything around us is boisterous and, and destruction. Everything around us is not preferable. And we're hard pressed on every side. And crushed and broke down and bruised and beaten. is because we know that objectively speaking, we have peace with God Almighty. Though we lack it in the world. It's the only thing that brings hope to humanity. It's the only thing that can anchor the church. It is the only message that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. My brother, to by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, to awaken to this much greater than we are presently, to understand that we were on the brink of hell. And Jesus stops and says, not this one. He yanks you backwards, snatches you from the fire. And says, I, I, have, I have a plan for this one. I have a plan and I have a purpose for this person. <clears throat> but why why did he do that? Cuz he loves us. He loves humanity. He wills for none to perish but for all to come to repentance. God don't need God don't need us God doesn't need us one bit but he wants us 
He's not the God of death. He's the God of life. He doesn't want any single person to taste death. I don't know if you've ever been around death. But especially when the person don't know Jesus, it is a sorrowful sight. A sorrowful sight. Especially when the death is a tragedy. I've I've had friends that have died by gang warfare, by drug overdoses, and you see the devastation that it brings to the family. It brings devastation to the heart of God. It brings devastation to the Lord. It brings grief to the heart of God. So what is what is the message <clears throat> that Jesus loved you enough? He loved me enough. And and here I want you to understand this is even though the Lord loved the world, do you understand he loved you? He knew who you would be, he knew your name. He knew everything you would do. And he loved you personally. And he still, despite you, went to the cross and died an excruciating death upon that Roman crucifix and was buried for three days and was risen again. It says that he was delivered unto death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. And so you know what? It's far much greater than me not just going to hell anymore. The Bible says that the grace of God has been lavished upon us. I am now a son of God. I am now serving the God of all hope. I know that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.17 that this light and momentary affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for me a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory that I'm convinced that nothing shall compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us. I have a hope. I have a destiny. I have a plan. And I have a purpose in Jesus Christ. I'm no longer a living corpse under the wrath of God, destined to hell. I've been set on a path. I have joy in my soul. I have hope in my heart. And I have a plan that I got to fulfill. And there's hope in Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. I don't have to live directionless. I don't have to live without a compass. I serve the living God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? He who once stood at attention with us. He who was once uh, in, in, in broken fellowship with us. And we who were once at hostility with God, we've been united. And we have now His favor and His grace. We're no longer under a curse, but He counts us as blessed. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. That's why we can wake up and we can fight depression. We can fight discouragement. We can fight despair. And we have the, the, the answer on our side and we're on the winning side and we ought not to accept that as the answer or the status of a Christian because that which what, what would have brought us the greatest devastation has now been permanently removed from our lives. We are no longer under the wrath, but he counts us as friends. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, I pray that you move in this place. Oh, move upon our hearts. The Bible says that we are saved by grace, not by what we have done. It's not by our good deeds. It's not because we've tallied our righteousness. In fact, if I can be honest as a Christian, there's been many regrets. There's been many things that I have done. There have been things that has brought shame to my heart and shame to my own standards. But you know what God has done despite me? He has continued to have mercy upon my soul, more than mercy, His grace is upon my life. Hallelujah. 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 There's many that are prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, even in the house of God. And yet, despite all that Jesus has done for us, despite Him having mercy on us and grace on us, died for us, and yet we still decline our hearts, we still backslide, we still grow lukewarm, and yet, no matter what, God is still there knocking on the door of our hearts and wanting in to bring the joy that we, right, that we actually desire. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Man, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. I feel the power of God. You don't have to live in condemnation anymore. Jesus came and, and he served an eviction notice on the devil. He says, you got to bounce. This person doesn't belong to you anymore. This is my daughter. This is my son. Hope is their inheritance. Joy is their inheritance. Faith is their inheritance. The plan and the purpose I have is uh, their inheritance. We're no longer on the path to hell. In fact, get hell out of the question. They're, they're headed to glory. And you know what? You don't have to wait to, to get whatever your view is, whether it's it, it, we're going to live on earth eternally or go into heaven eternally, irrespective of, of our end times view. You don't have to wait until the life to come to have glory. We can have glory in this life. You can have glory in your prayer closet. You can have glory in your secret time. You can have glory, the glory of God, not the glory of men, not the glory of Bill Gates, not the glory of Jeff Bezos with their perishable money. The Bible says we've been redeemed from that which is imperishable and unfading and kept in heaven, preserved in heaven for us. Preserved. Hallelujah. We've been redeemed not by the empty ways of our forefathers, but by the precious Lamb of God, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And if you're a Christian today, you don't have to live in defeat. You don't have to live in a sense of condemnation. The Bible says that our own hearts can condemn us. But you know what? God is greater than our hearts. And He doesn't condemn us. The Bible says, who is the condemned? Jesus Christ died and more than that was raised to life and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. The Bible says that there is no charge that can be laid to our account. The Bible says that our, our account has been declared not guilty. But you say, you don't, you don't understand my past. Well, forget your past because God has forgotten it. Amen. The devil hasn't, but God has. Let God and the, the, the freaking devil be a liar and let God be true. Sometimes you have to talk to the enemy like that. You know what? You, you know, like I've, I've heard people say, <laughs> keep reminding me of my past. I will remind you of your future. You're, you're just sad because you're going to hell. I'm not going there anymore. I'm God's possession. I'm God's child, God's son. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a fight for your joy. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No doesn't mean some. No doesn't mean, uh, you know, the uh, just a little bit of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation. Some of you are saying, I need to be perfected. I need to be completely holy in order for there to be no condemnation. No, the Bible says today, now there is no condemnation. You know why there is now no condemnation? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and he was condemned for you and he was condemned for I. Why did he die? The holy, sinless Lamb of God. If he had no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth, it was because he died for you and for me. Why did he die? Because he stood condemned. This is this fancy theological term called penal Substitution, the penalty has been substituted. He stands in our place and we stand in his place. Hallelujah. And that answers Job's question for how man can be just, made just with God. As I am made just with God because I hand him a report card that doesn't belong to me. I hand him someone else's report card and it's my elder brother, Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior. And I say, here, here's an A-plus report card. Mine was an F. In fact, forget an F, I was expelled from school. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for the love of the Father. God, I pray that this revelation would be made plain to our hearts. Don't you hear the voice of the Father crying out to you? Some of you live, and this is what the Lord told me last night. This is why he wanted me to preach this message. He told, he told me that some of you live in a state of mental condemnation. And the Lord wants to liberate you from that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, I cry so often, not because I'm an emotional man, but one thing I know from the point of my conversion, I've always had a very sensitive heart for the Lord's heart. And the only reason why I cry today, because I feel the joy in His heart. I feel the joy in the Lord's heart for His own people. You know, I feel these waves and these, these flashes of God's grace and love and joy that he has for his people. <clears throat> I'm reminded of the prodigal son, the parable. I remember he squandered all his wealth. He went to go feed himself with the pot of the pig, squandered his wealth on prostitutes. He brought shame to his family's name. And yet, you know what? He comes to a place and he says, Man, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And I know my father, he has servants that are a whole lot better off than me. And, and, and his concern was for himself, not even what he did for to his father. And he says, I will go back home and I will say, Father, hire me as one of your servants. I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't want to do things my way anymore. I want to do things your way, Lord. I want to do your th uh, things your way, Father. I, I, I know that the choices that I make doesn't always bring delight to your heart. I know that it brings destruction. And I know it brings emptiness in my belly. Emptiness in my soul. But I know that you're a God that is plenteous in mercy. Abounding in love. Slow to anger. Abounding in grace. And I can return home. And I know that you will... Uh, clothe me in, in clean garments. They're dirty and they're stained. And I hate the stench that I carry. And I want to be clothed in white. I want you to kill the fattened calf and celebrate that this son of yours that was once dead and once lost is now alive and is now found. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Lord. We should be rejoicing today as Christians because we were once lost. We were once dead, but now we're found and we have obtained everlasting life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then you find, you see there the, the religious get all upset about it. This wretched son of yours, he did all this, you know, his brother, he is all upset. You know why? The first thing he says, I've been slaving for you. I've done everything. You know, he was so conscious of what he was doing for God. And he didn't realize that everything was his. He says, son, all that I have is yours. A works-based mentality doesn't lead us to joy. It leads us to envy and jealousy and bitterness, self-righteousness. You get upset when God chooses the worst of the worst. Say, they don't deserve that. You're right. If we all got what we deserve, we'd get hell. You know, I I love what uh, one brother said to me one time. He said, God is in the smoking section. He didn't mean that God is smoking. What he meant is that God is attracted to brokenness. And there's people at the bar in the smoking section, not saying that it's church. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this, is that the Spirit of God is moving. He cries aloud in the marketplace, the Bible says in Proverbs 4. You know, it's surprising to me that, you know, God is actually often at the place that you think He's at, but He's not. So many people think He's at some of these large churches. He's, he's not there. He's not. They proclaim a Christ that they don't know. You know, I remember one time, man, I remember there was this guy. He came to my door. There was a brother. Uh, uh, well, actually, there was a brother in the Lord that backslid. He backslid. <clears throat> and uh, he, he wasn't showing up to church for a while. <laughs> And I guess he was like doing drugs or doing something with the, you know, with these gangs and stuff like that. And, uh, and, uh, I guess one of the gang members, it was just, uh, this brother in the Lord and, and him, they're away from the whole clique and stuff. And they were talking, you know, and I guess that, that gang member opened up his heart to this brother in the Lord, started sharing things. And this brother in the Lord said, dang, I know someone I can bring him to, but he's a church folk and I'm backslidden, but I know it's the right thing to do. So like probably like 11 at night, get a knock on my door and he's like, hey, um, and he's looking down with shame. He's like, man, I know I haven't been in church a while and he can't look at me in my eyes. He said, but, uh, you know, I got this guy right here that really needs help. And, <clears throat> you know, he's all, 
He's all, uh, you could tell, rough guy, all tatted in his face. Got the one four, got one right here, got a four. That that means you know, he's a northerner. And I remember, I started ministering to him, and I got to pray for him, and the presence of the Holy Spirit came. And you know what he did? He fell on my neck and started embracing me and crying. He started crying. This rough man. And I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, that's what will offend the religious mind. Oh, look at that. What kind of ministry is that? What kind of gospel ministry is that? And one time I remember we were preaching out in, in this park with people with, with syringe needles right in front of our eyes or heroin addicts and meth addicts. And I remember one time we got on the bench and we're proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming the love of Jesus. We're proclaiming the love of God, not to the religious elite, not to those who think themselves to be morally upright. And I remember there was a, there was a transgender. There was a man who had a sex change and he was all dressed in women's clothes and we were preaching the gospel and tears began to stream down his eyes as the presence of the Holy Spirit came. And all these drug addicts were beginning to cry. That's where God is at. But the question is, do we bring God to those people? See, God... He's attracted the need, even if you're filthy. He's attracted to need. <clears throat> what does Paul say in Titus? We were once too foolish, disobedient, led astray by diverse lusts and passions. But when the mercy and the grace of God appear, teaching us to say no to ungodliness, you had to be taught. Amen? Don't get so religious to where you forget that you are just as jacked up and messed up as some of these people that need the grace of God in their lives. For real. You know God he will he will do he will offend a lot of Jonas. <clears throat> and if you're not careful you'll turn into one. You won't even want to see a nation repent. You know the interesting thing about Jonah he was more upset that a gourd that gave him shade perished overnight. And it grew up by God's power. And it diminished by God's power more than he would have been upset that God would have caused an entire nation a full of 120,000 people to have perished. God revealed something to his heart that day. You know what will prevent us from Thinking like that, thinking, being self-righteous. 
So, so what, what happened was, for those of you that don't aren't familiar with the story, God tells Jonah and he says, I have 120,000 people in this place called Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them. Tell them that God's judgment is going to come upon them. And he says, you know, in you know, in X amount of days, God's judgment is going to come upon you. You guys are going to perish. The king calls for a fast. And he says, let's repent. Let us turn from our wicked ways. The whole nation repents. God relents of his wrath and says, you know, I'm not going to pour it out upon these people. Jonah, he gets upset. And then he, he, he throws a little self-righteous tantrum. And then he, you know, it's hot and he doesn't have his air condition. He didn't get enough money on his, his recent paycheck, so he couldn't have, you know, called the maintenance man to fix it and to, you know, fix his internet so he can go in the metaverse. So, <laughs> I'm just messing. <laughs> so he had, a, you know, this gourd or whatever you, I don't know the exact term. To cover his head, to spare him from the sun, the heat of the sun, and then it, you know, and then God caused it to wither. And then God begins to question him and says, "Jonah, are you right to be upset about this?" And if I'm not mistaken, he says, "Yes." I, I might, I would have to go back to check to. But I, if I'm not mistaken, he says, yes, I am right to be upset about this. He said, well, that, you know, God's kind of like, well, that's interesting. Where, where, where was that same passion for these people? I didn't allow them to wither away. Right? <clears throat> Let me ask you this challenging question. Who are those wicked people or unrighteous people that are probably close in relationship with you or on your job that you would like to see if you're honest perish but God is saying are you right to be upset are you right to be angry that I'm sparing them sometimes you're praying God why aren't you doing anything is because God is merciful to them Thank God that the Lord didn't do what others would have wanted God to do to us. Because he was merciful to us. He was waiting how long of a time for us to come into the ark? See, you know the reason why God just didn't, you know, drop an ark from heaven as God could have done that? Or God could have, you know, had so many people to assist uh, uh, Noah or, or you know, did it by a mere miracle? Because... There is something, God allowed the process of Moses, uh, Noah as one man to create this whole thing to give these people a long period of repentance. And you know why God sticks you in hell holes around wicked people? Because he wants you to continue to be the voice of mercy because he's long-suffering. Ah, but we don't like that. We don't. But remember, there's always the Lord who has waited so long for us.
and is still long-suffering. Right? In his mercy, his forbearance. It's like um, last night, you know, I I didn't get a ticket (laughs) by a cop. I didn't get a fix-it ticket. The Lord was merciful. So that's my son. Just let him off. <laughs> it, it was night, because, you know, and I, here in America, we need, you know, two lights. That, I don't know if you guys get fix-it tickets over there and where you're from, but we do over here. And it was cool. I got to pray for the cop. And it was such a change for me. Um, I've only got stopped twice. Wait, no. I got stopped three times as a Christian. And, uh, <clears throat> but this time was my first time I was able to pray for a cop. It was wonderful. It, it was a big change from having their guns and infrared lasers pointed at my chest. <laughs> Getting slammed up police cars, thrown in police cars, slammed up against walls, face on the ground. Oh man. Lord can take the, the the trash of the world and make them a trophy unto God. Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Amen, everyone, or Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. We need we need to pray for the rest of you. <laughs> I'm just messing, messing. Um, well, praise the Lord. Um, I hope that you guys were blessed, and I hope that um, you guys were encouraged. Um, understand that we don't have to live in a mindset of condemnation. We don't have to live dwelling on our past, our past sins. We don't have to live in regret. We don't have to live uh, dwelling on yesterday. Right? Why? Because there's one that secures, that, that heals our yesterdays, secures our todays, and anchors our tomorrow. I love that. He heals our yesterdays. He secures our todays. And he anchors our tomorrows. What did he tell to the woman caught in the act of uh, fornication or adultery or whatever? He says, where are your accusers? He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. And so the Lord is saying, neither do I accuse you. Right? He died for you. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. You have life. You have more than life today. You have eternal life. You have the glory of God. You have reconciliation with God. Reconciliation. 
What does that mean? You right now have life. You're alive. I don't know if you guys have ever been on the verge of death or or maybe you weren't but thought you were. Like, oh, you got super anxious about certain symptoms. Like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to die. It sucks to think that. But you don't have to think that in the spiritual. You're alive. What did Jesus say? He says, they that believe on me has everlasting life. They shall not pass unto death. What good news. What good news. And he stands today as our high priest, ever living to make intercession for us. Hallelujah. So, 